I knew something was wrong. It happened once, and then it kept happening, and I knew because it kept happening that I needed to do something about it, so I knew, I knew something was wrong. I noticed that my car was pulling to the left. I'd be going down the road, and it would want to go in the other lane. I'd be going down the road, I'd take a turn, and it would snap back in that direction. I knew that something was wrong. I'm sure that the many potholes that have appeared in recent weeks had nothing to do with it. But I know they didn't help. But I know I needed to take the turn into the tire shop and get my wheels aligned and my tires balanced because I knew that if I didn't do that, the ability for my car to go down the road the way it's intended to go down the road, if I didn't get that aligned properly, it would deteriorate. It would injure the car. There would be longer-term damage to my ability to drive down the road. What is your first response when you know something is wrong in your life? When you're aware that things are not the way they should be, that you're out of alignment with God, what is your response? When you look at the world and you know in your gut something's wrong. When you look out at the world and you know it's not the way God intends for the world to be. It's not how God wants us to treat one another. It's not how God wants the world to work. You see, I think my, my car's misalignment problem reminds me of me. Right? It reminds me of our world. And like my car, if I do not give time to realigning my life and, and seeking to be part of aligning my world with God, then my ability to move down the path of life with Jesus deteriorates. It deteriorates. We can make it look all good on the outside, but on the inside it deteriorates. And eventually that shows on the outside. If I don't pay attention to that misalignment in my car, eventually at some point in time, something even possibly catastrophic can happen. Today we're going to be there in 539 B.C. when the prophet Daniel has a moment of alignment. Here's the backstory. Many of you know it. God's people are in captivity in Babylon. Fifty years prior, the temple was leveled and people were, were stolen from their homes. They were ripped out of their homes. They were brought into captivity. They were, they were locked away from everything that seemed important to them. And now they lived under ca captivity in a land and in a culture, in a society that was completely opposite of what God intended for them. 
But there are two realities here that we need to see to understand what we're going to read this morning. The first reality is this. Part of the reason that they are there, in fact, the reason they are there, is that they have turned to worshiping idols. And when they got into Babylon, they, they kind of increased that activity, accommodating to the culture around them. They have replaced the one true God with gods that are culturally acceptable and convenient and are the thing that everyone was doing. Gods that were molded in their own image, eclipsing the devotion they had to God, failing to be his witness in a pagan culture. And they had forgotten the most fundamental truth for all of those, then and now, who would seek to be worshipers of the true God. They forgot this one truth. You will have no other gods before me. They forgot that. You will have no other gods before me. That's first reality. The second reality is this. They are in Babylon and they are waiting. They are in this extended liminal space. They are waiting to be set free from this nightmare of captivity and being in exile. Before them is an unknown future. They don't know what's going to happen. History tells us that they're coming to the end of that time, but they don't know that. Fear and doubt and hopelessness and discouragement have set up camp in many of the hearts of these people. Read the prophets and you see that. And you also see that for these people, it's easy to assign blame to everyone else. Blame the prophets. They did that. Blame the Babylonians. They did that. Blame the political leaders. They did that. So in that context, we then read what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 9. I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet. Remember Daniel? Daniel is the man who stood on his faith in God no matter the cost. Others around him were aligning their lives with the latest trending gods. But Daniel stayed true to God. You don't have to go to church. You don't even have to read the Bible to know who Daniel is. Daniel was so true to God, he had an up-close and personal encounter with the bad breath of lions when he was thrown in the lion's den because of his faith. So we now join this righteous man. We join him in his quiet time. Let's just use our understanding. Some of us understand that when we go to prayer, we call it our quiet time, our devotional time. Our prayer time, call it what you will. We are there with him, but I want you to notice something about him. Notice that he doesn't just read a couple of verses of Scripture, say a quick prayer, and go home or go to work. He doesn't break out a little devotional that he can read in three minutes and, and then go on his way. No, no, look what happens. Daniel sits with the Scriptures and that verse tells us that he sat with them until they gave him understanding of his 
current life situation and the world around him. It says he understood from the scriptures. And in doing so, he he connects to one of the greatest lessons learned in exile. Let's just pause for a moment. Let me ask you a question. How do you read the Bible? How do you do it? What is your plan? What what do you do when you read the Bible? How do you read the Bible? I think we can learn something from him because it's, it's not about the amount of Scripture we read. It's not about checking it off as if it's a devotional exercise and I've now accomplished my devotional exercise for 15 minutes in the beginning of my day or at the end of my day, whatever your time is, and I'm good. It's not about finding Scriptures that make us feel good. It's not about trying to claim a promise here so that now I have my promise from God to do what I want him to do. But it's about sitting with the scriptures until we gain understanding of life and the world around us. and Letting the scriptures read us as we read them. How are you reading the Bible? Because if we don't do that, it's, we begin to think things are more important some things are more important. We, we, we think they're more important some things than they should be. We begin to lose sight of our priorities. I do. The reading I'm speaking of in history has been referred to as Lectio Divina. It is what has been called that through the centuries, and here are the basic steps very quickly. First of all, read and listen to the text that you're reading in the Bible. Read and listen to it. In fact, read it out loud as well. Read it, then read it out loud. Then read it, then read it out loud and listen to it. What is the Spirit, what is God drawing your attention to? Secondly, meditate on the Scriptures. Meditate on them. I'm not talking about some, you know, Far Eastern meditation process, taking the scriptures and deeply meditating on them, pondering them, thinking them. What is God saying to you in the scriptures regarding your life and your world and even your day? And then pray from what you have read. Many times we're very busy talking at God, aren't we? trying to make sure we let God know what we need him to accomplish for us in the course of the day. But what if we take the scriptures and what we begin to hear from God, we begin to return to God in prayer with that. What is God leading you to pray for? And then lastly, contemplate them. And ask yourself this simple question. I, I, I offer this question to many people who have talked to me about reading the Bible. I say, ask this question, how is God revealing himself to you? Because the point of Scripture is to reveal God and his story for us. So that's the way Daniel read the Scriptures. And in doing so, he became aware that things were desperately wrong. How the people of God were now out of alignment with God's will and his way. And, And his response to that was to turn to God in this amazing prayer. But it's not a prayer of simply asking God to fix things. 
It's not a prayer simply asking God to make life better. No, it's, it's a different prayer. So let's enter into the prophet's prayer closet with him. And let's learn from him. This is God's word for us today, this prayer of Daniel's. This is the word of the Lord. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. I, I prayed to the Lord God and, and I confessed. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his covenants. We, we have sinned and done wrong, God. We've been wicked and have rebelled. We have, we have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and, and to all the people of the land. We have not listened to them. Lord, you are righteous. This day we are covered in shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us, we're covered in shame because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered in shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though, even though we have rebelled against him. But we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. And his prayer goes on. But on this first Sunday of Lent, in prayer with the prophet, we see him face the sinfulness of God's people and of the world around him. And I think if you and I sat with this prayer long enough and we read it as Daniel read Scripture, we would begin to see ourselves in our world. We have sinned and done wrong before God. We often disregard the Scriptures and what they teach. We read them and we live differently than what they call us to. We are more interested in what politicians and power brokers and online influencers have to say to us than what sermons have to say to us. We sin against God in accommodating and obliging the trending gods of our day. We've been covered with shame because like these people, we name ourselves as the people of God. But then we don't act like the people of God. We name ourselves Christian, and, but then we act like anything but Christian. We have sinned and we've done wrong. The godly Daniel, this Daniel, this is really rather amazing. He's the last person who should have to pray this prayer. But in his love for God, he comes and, and, and he carries this scripture-born burden in prayer to God. 
I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed, it says. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We learn valuable lessons in the prayerful practices of Daniel. The people are not aligned with God, but, but this is what one of the things we have to take away. The people are not aligned with God, but alignment, realignment with God's way is possible. It's accessible. And it's desirable. It's what God wants. And best of all, like Daniel, we turn to, as he says, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. I like the way Jesus said it when he said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But seek first his kingdom. The more I seek you, the more I find you. My friends, today, we can talk about turning to God. We could talk about seeking God. We can talk about the profession of our faith. We can label ourselves followers of Jesus, Christians, religious people. But like the people in Babylon, like those people who were exiled to Babylon, it is easy to make that faith a superficial factor in our lives. Even when we say the word Christian or we say the word religious or we say the word born again, that's been so diluted in the atmosphere of the media we live in and in some ways the way the church has failed even our designation. Let's be honest. It can be superficial as a factor in our lives. We, we live our lives and then we add a little Jesus. Live our lives, add a little Jesus here. But Daniel teaches me that turning to God is much more than a surface coat of religion that turning to God finds weight and gives us a weighty life. I, I want a life of weight, a weighty life. Turning to God finds weight through intentional practices that position us to form, be formed and shaped and changed by God. We sang that song at the start about the spirit of the living God, that, that he changes what we see and I love that part, but this is the part that's hard. He changes what we seek. You can tell me, I can tell you what I say I am, but it is what I seek that defines who I really am. Right? So these practices of seeking God, practices that take time, not just in when we practice them, but over time, that become our life and our lifestyle of seeking God. Those form and shape and change us. Listen to what we hear again from Daniel. So I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed. 
And so what Daniel does is Daniel leans, he leans into spiritual practices of alignment. I don't think this just happened because Daniel really, oh wow, things are wrong. And No, no, we saw that. We saw that he sat with the scriptures. This was part of what he did. And it was made aware to him. And then these practices of his, I don't think these were new practices. I think this was his life. I think this is what he did with his life in seeking God. He leaned into those spiritual practices he knew, practices of alignment, as he wrestled with the broken past of the people and the unknown future that was ahead of them, that they were were immersed in. When you leave here today, you're going to receive another card that's going to help you through Lent. And on it, it simply says, spiritual practices of alignment. And these are they. The first one, as we said, is scripture reading. Not as intellectual exercise, but as an appointment with the living God. I love that. Did you have an appointment today with the living God already? Isn't that great? When we sing that song, The More I Seek You, and there's that one section, you know, and for real tough, tough guys, when it talks about putting your head against God's chest and feeling his heartbeat, some of us tough guys go, well, I don't know about that. Sounds a little beyond me, but think about that for a moment. Where the scripture becomes an appointment with the living God, where we get the heartbeat of God. Where we, get, where we get the breath of God breathing on our hearts. Scripture reading that shapes and forms our hearts. And then prayer and petition. He says that he pleaded with God in prayer. There, this, is, this is being honestly present before God. This isn't just talking at him, but being honestly present before God. Sharing with God our deepest selves Sharing with God our worst selves and our best selves. This is really what Daniel's doing is he's practicing faith in the midst of the unknown. So, So do you have the freedom just to talk to God about anything? Do you have the freedom to yell at God? Do you have the freedom to to? Give God your honest self. That's what prayer is. It's not just talking at him. And then fasting. I know we normally associate that with food, appropriately so, especially this time of year. But what fasting is about, it's it's reorienting ourselves around ultimate things. Reorienting ourselves around ultimate things. It's affirming our utter dependence on God. It's making space in our lives to feast on God. And and, and it's reminding ourselves that we do not live by bread alone or technology alone or entertainment alone or all the other things or our jobs alone or all the other things. It's, It's making space for God so that we can feast on God. Repentance. Or godly sorrow. So that's what, the, that's what the sackcloth and the ashes are about. The sackcloth would be rough and they'd put it on and it'd be uncomfortable. And the ashes identified their mortality. It was genuinely recognizing this idea of repentance. 
It's recognizing our limitations as humans and our culpability as humans towards those things which displease God. And it's a grieving the sins of our lives. Really grieving them. Like we grieve the loss of a loved one. That's the idea. And here's the other thing. It's grieving the sins of the world. It's so easy for me to default to the word should. Those people in my world should be doing this. Or that person should be doing this. But what this is about is not pointing my finger out there or out there or at you or get the word should out of the vocabulary. This is coming to God and grieving the places in my life that are not aligned with him and looking at my world and my heart being broken with the world and the condition of the world. This is a, this is a powerful thing. And then lastly, confession. Owning sin. Owning it. Owning our own sins and confessing them to God. It's powerful. Maybe even finding someone you can trust to confess your sins to. It's what Scripture actually calls us to. And then doing something that Daniel does, which we probably need to recapture. And what Daniel does is he confesses how they may unwittingly be complicit in the sins of the world. And so recognizing how we may unwittingly be complicit in the sins of the world around us, such as the sins of greed, or the sins of violence, or racism, or hatred, and examining our hearts, So what does any of this really have to do with, with us? Well, in many ways, we're much like the people of the 6th century B.C. Israel. Our congregation needs a new call to these disciplines moving forward. I am calling you to these disciplines. We need to activate these disciplines in our lives, individually and collectively. We really do. We have an unknown future before us. We have an unknown future at some measure in our congregation, but we also have an unknown future in our lives and what's happening in the world. We also have a world that's in need of alignment with God. That doesn't happen by some pol political process. The greatest changes in, in history have not been political, they've been spiritual. The greatest movements that changed cultures and people has been spiritual movement of the spirit of the living God not drummed up by men. But for us, close to home for us, we have a transition in staffing with Pastor Mike's departure. We need to be praying and fasting about that. Determining how we're going to be part of what God wants to do. We have some economic challenges as a church facing this facility that recently are developing in the last couple months that we need to bring to God, which we'll share more with in coming weeks. We're living in a time, and it's not just community chapel, it's across the board in churches, where church attendance is not at a premium. And that's with church members.
What are we accommodating? In our personal lives, lives, we also have the anxiety of the unknown all around us in life. All I have to do is say one word for today. Coronavirus. And for some, the heart begins to beat a little more. It's an unknown. Family stressors are high. The pace of life is unrelenting. The diagnosis of anxiety disorders is on the rise among children. The political and social acrimony is like a choking cloud of poisonous smoke. Choking on it. Just choking on it. And we are bombarded by competing allegiances, the trending gods in so many areas of our lives. My friends, a, a glossed coat of Christian religion will fail us. It will fail us. So, so let's turn to God, not because it's Lent, but because it's necessary. Let's turn to God in a deeper way. Let's turn with such genuineness, it leads us to self-examination. If you need help with self-examination, there's a yellow sheet of paper back on the Lent table that will help you. helps me. Let's turn in such a way that it leads to recognition of sin within ourselves, in our attitudes, in our words, in our actions, in our dispositions, and recognition of sin in our world and be grieved by that. Let, let's turn to God in such a way that it leads to actually grieving sin, which distorts the intention of human beings. So when we see it, when we see mistreatment of others, when we see misogyny, when we see the poor left behind, let's call it what it is. It's sin. Let's turn to God in confession as Daniel did. But, but there is really good news here. Because later in his prayer, Daniel points to the hope that the darkness will someday end. He, he gives a picture how God responds to those who will take such urgency of heart to heart in relationship with God Verse 18, give ear our God and hear. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your mercy. Isn't that good news? That's the basis for our turning. This is the confidence we have. This is what allows us to turn to God with such candor and transparency. This is why we can go to God honestly and transparent before him. We simply and humbly turn to the God of grace and mercy. Not because of our righteousness, but because of his mercy. These words, that, that changes these words from James. In the book of James, it says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. It's about repentance. It's about grieving. 
But then look, humble yourselves before God and he will lift you up. It's not how great we are. It's not how righteous we live. It's not how much we have our act together. The truth is these people didn't have their act together. No, we turn to God because of who he is, because of what he does, because of how he loves. And we turn to God for something that no one in this room deserves, and that's grace. And we turn to God grateful that he does not give us what we do deserve. Instead, he gives us mercy. The psalmist reminds us he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And so it is time for us to turn to the Lord for us personally, for us corporately as a church, for us as a society that we are part of in revealing God too. To turn not out of our own resources or our own good works, not to the alluring impostors of political power and economic prosperity. That was part of the problem of the Israelites. Not to the gods we shape in our own image and convenience, but to the God who loves us with an everlasting love. We turn to the Lord as we turn to the Lord's future for us. And in our turning today, on this Sunday, we gather to the table of the Lord. For it's at this table that we're reminded that in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. So we turn to God in sincere prayer and repentance and confession and fasting and we find from him a feast of grace waiting for us. A feast of forgiveness. A feast of welcome from God. A feast of realignment with the love and the life of God through Jesus Christ as intended for us and for the world. So in a moment, we're going to listen to some music as we're coming to the table. And as we listen, I invite you to come to the table, receive the elements, and then return to your seat. And we'll, as our last act today, we will partake of the Lord's Supper. But as we listen, I invite you to take a few moments to reflect on this. Let us turn to the Lord with all our hearts, with all that we are in honesty of life and soul. Our pastors are going to come as we now come to the table. Would you please stand this morning? And I invite you to come to the table of the Lord. Lord, we come to you today and we come in a posture, Lord God, before you of confession. We confess our need for you. And we confess, Lord God, that in the everyday details of life, we often forget that, that we need you. We confess our need to control circumstances, people, outcomes. We confess, Lord God, our deep weakness in trusting you.
We confess, Lord God, that there are times in our lives where we look the other way when sin is prevalent, when maybe our own words should be spoken. And we confess, Lord God, that you call us to live a life that reflects you and often we confess to you. There's times when we don't do that. We confess words that hurt, attitudes that alienate, postures that treat people less. And we confess to you, Lord Jesus, that we need your forgiveness today. We also confess, Lord God, that you are the Son of the living God. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, including our sins. And so we come to this table and we turn to you, Almighty God. We turn to you and we confess we love you. Lord, we ask all these things in your name. I invite you to stand this morning. It's great to be with you this morning. With this as our final act of worship today, let us now go and live into the mercy and grace of God with lives that are honest, transparent before the living God and the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Greet one another in his name.